Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Kings 17, 7 through 16. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord of the Lord, God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be God. Good morning, church, and welcome to those uh, joining online, those that will watch us later. <clears throat> Hello to you as well. Well, we are here worshiping the Lord here today, and let us pray as we do. Lord, may the words of our, my mouth, that is, and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today's sermon title is called The Mighty in the Small been amazing in ministry to see throughout the years how the Lord will take something very small as long as it's faithfully given to multiply it and to do amazing things. Now, of course, normally when we think about that subject and talk about it, we normally think of the feeding of the 5,000, which of course is a great story, or maybe the feeding of the 4,000 that's also recorded in the Gospels as well. And, uh, and of course, those stories do tell the story of God multiplying, but it's found throughout Scripture of the Lord taking what little someone has and bringing something so marvelous out of it. And this story that we read here today is the story, and really it's kind of the front pages of Elijah's story. And of course, Elijah was one of the great prophets of old, and he, he lived at a very difficult time. If you thought COVID was difficult, uh, imagine some really, really horrible kings rising up in power, making everybody worship not the Lord, but other gods of the land, and doing all sorts of horrible things with that. And furthermore, oh, also being corrupt, and uh, doing whatever they wanted and taking things and stealing things from everybody and everywhere that they possibly could. And Elijah was born into this situation where there was lots of oppression, lots of violence going on in the world around him, and not much faithfulness to the Lord. And yet the Lord called him one day to go and to go up to Ahab, the king of Israel, and to say to Ahab some harsh words. And of course, going to a corrupt king that has a whole lot of power and has already shown that he's going to use it to do whatever he wants, 
It's normally not the safest thing to go and to do that, yet he was given the story to go up to Ahab and to tell Ahab, surely there will no be no rain until I speak otherwise. And this was the hand of the Lord working against Ahab, trying to teach once again the Israelites and also those who were of the Judah, kingdom of Judah to come back to the Lord, to serve him, to abandon the idols and the worshiping of other gods that they had come to know in this land that they had come to settle in, that the Lord had brought them to. And yet, of course, as he says this, he, the Lord says, get up and go, Elijah. So he gets up and he goes, and he has to hide along kind of a river valley, and there's a famous story where the Lord sends ravens, and ravens actually come and feed Elijah to give him nourishment for the journey. And then not only that, but from there, the Lord sends him even further and says, hey, Elijah, I'm going to, I prepared something for you. I want you to go all the way up, and if you think of Elijah's kind of uh, mode here, I want you to go to the poor person, if you will, you have to read into the story, right? Because the poor widow with a son that's not Israelite or from the kingdom of Judah, oh, in fact, they're basically up in the Tyre and Sidon country, not Jewish at all, if you will. And so, of course, he gets up and he goes and he follows the Lord and he goes and he stays and finds this woman and stays at her house with her and her son. And yet that interaction happens, right, where there's a story where the Lord says, hey, don't worry, I've got a place for you, Elijah. You're going to go and you're going to you know, stay with this woman that I prepared for you. She's going to take care of you. And he gets there and he finds her at the well and, you know, he asks for a drink. She goes, try to be, you know, hospitable, goes to get her a drink. And, of course, as the, read the story, he says to her, oh, and bring me some bread, too. At which point she turns to him. And if you remember what the scripture just said, she says, hey, I'm going to paraphrase this, but hey, mister, I'm gathering up sticks to make my last meal because, dude, look around. There's no food. It hasn't rained. We're all dying, right? All of us. In fact, this is my last meal. I'm literally going to cook this, and then my son and I are going to starve to death. How dare you ask me that? That's kind of what's being said there. And yet Elijah said, well, you know, what do you have? And so she tells him, you know, basically, like, I have basically uh, some jar with a little bit of flour and a, just a little bit of oil. And he says, okay, go and do this. And so she in the moment, decides to follow his advice, probably from the prompting of the Lord working upon her spirit. She goes, and of course, as the story's told, from day after day then, they, they put some oil, and they put some flour from the jar, and yet it never seems to run out. It keeps going. And what was supposed to be the last supper, if you will, for this lady and her son, turns out to be the feast that keeps going and going and going. And God, once again, does the miraculous where he takes something small, yet something that's faithfully given, and makes sustenance from it, makes daily bread from it. And granted, it wasn't a king's feast, but yet Elijah, this widow, and her son were given all that they needed, day in and day out, from the word of the Lord. It's amazing to think in our life that sometimes these things happen. One of the ways I saw maybe this most vividly in my life was I uh, once took a, a mission trip to Jamaica and I uh, was crazy enough to bring about 20 to 30 youth with me too, right? And uh, we all went down there and we did a bunch of different work in different places and helped out a church building something, did a VBS school, but we also got to go and visit an orphanage, which was uh, the real Jamaica, because if you go to Jamaica, you know, you go, most of the time we go only on like the beach area and that's like, it's kind of like the Las Vegas of Jamaica. It's not really real Jamaica. You get up in the mountains, that's real Jamaica. And so we went up into the mountains into this orphanage and we were sitting there and, and you know, playing with the kids and 
you know, it was, it was so cool because some of the kids were deaf and, and all these type of things. And yet our kids just got out. We brought the soccer ball out. Didn't matter. Game on. Playing around, having a great time, laughter, fun times, all sorts of great stuff going on. But many of these children, of course, were children who necessarily didn't want to be abandoned by their parents, but uh, really didn't have much of an option. There wasn't really much in their local schools that could do for children, especially with different disabilities, such as being deaf and things like that. And so this school was started, and there were many children there from all sorts of ages. And uh, the director was sitting down with us and telling us the history of the school. And while she was there, she said, well, you know, there were, there's been times it's just been a struggle. And she literally said, you know, there's one time where, you know, basically we rely on the donations of everybody around us and either foreigners, but locals and everybody else, and things just kind of always work out. But there was one time, she told us, that literally the cupboard was running dry, right? And no food was coming, no, no correspondence with anybody coming, no money was being sent in, they had, and they were just feeding these kids, doing faithfully all they could and portioning it out and, you know, doing as much as they could. And day in and day out, the food got less and less until they got to the point where they were about to say, this is the last meal, guys. Like, we don't know what to do besides send you home. You know, like, we have, we have nothing to, for you to eat. We, we don't have anything here. And they were at that point, and so the, one of the ladies said, you know what, I'm going to at least walk down to the, to the local village and to see if I can find any help. And so she walked on down. And uh, she got to the edge of the driveway, if you will, if you can call it a driveway, but edge of the driveway, if you will. And uh, lo and behold, there was a tree falling down, and there was a good truck with bags of rice. And it was stuck to come up the hill to come give all these kids all this food. And she talked to the man, and the man said, hey, you know, this is all from this village that we're all from. And, uh, you know, we just felt it upon the Lord's heart the other day to just bring you a whole bunch of rice. So here we are. And so they, you know, got the tree moved out of the way and did all that they needed to do. And, of course, all the rice came and fed the kids. They were able to keep the orphanage open. And it was all thanks to the Lord intervening in a person or village's heart, if you will. And they said, hey, what little thing is the Lord asking us to do? And so they just bagged up some rice, sent it to that local orphanage, and yet it sustained that orphanage. And those children ate. When that story was told, we had, uh, you know, a couple deep thinkers in, in the youth I remember one that was sort of uh, uh, kind of on the fence of, of you know, he, he believed in Jesus, but there was always kind of that kind of science and religion kind of thing going on in his life, and so he always kind of struggled a little bit with that. And so he always, a little bit, there was always a portion of him, I think, that questioned, you know, does God exist, or is it just kind of our make-believe kind of thing? And he heard that story, and I remember the words that came out of his mouth as we were sitting around that night, you know, talking about the day and reflecting on the day, and he said, never once have I heard a story that just proves to me that God's real, right? <laughs> then as some out-of-the-way orphanage just receiving bags and bags of rice just because someone just felt it upon their heart that the Lord was speaking to them to go get a bunch of rice and bring it and met them at the very hour when they basically ran out of the food. Because the Lord works and does mighty things with what is small. One of the things that the Lord did in my life once was... Uh, uh, happened in seminary, and it was one of these funny things where, you know, you go to seminary, and uh, you have to write lots of papers. If you didn't know that, you read a ton, and you write a lot, and so, you know, writing papers, doing all this, and I think this, if I remember correctly, this was uh, my junior year of, uh, if you think of a junior year, if you will, of seminary, and so uh, I was there, and, and uh, taking a class, and the, and the professor's name was Dr. Bauer, and Dr. Bauer taught a class called IBS, which was inductive Bible study, but we all knew it as irritable bowel syndrome when we went to it. But <laughs> nonetheless, 
It was called IBS, and we all took it. But he also, of course, taught other things. And so after I took IBS, you got to open up and do other things. You got to take other classes. And so I did and uh, took a class. And we were doing a, a, a class on the Old Testament pretty much and talking through it and writing papers on it and different things like that. Well, I'll have you know, uh, uh, when I would write papers, I would take, I don't know pride's the right word, but I would, I would put good effort into it. And I, and I would take all the critiques of, you know, if I actually put effort into it, then I took the critiques, right? And I really kind of, like, you know, really reflected on them and, and did all that. And so I got this paper back one time from Dr. Bauer. And, you know, normally there'd be things that I'd go, okay, that's a good point, you know, all that stuff like that as he wrote and, and reflected and critiqued what I would write. And there was one time I got, like, an A-plus on a paper, right? I was like, yeah! And then I looked through it, and I'm like, where are all these red marks, right? And I, I'm looking through it, and, like, you know, he's, a lot of it, he would write encouraging things, so a lot of it was really good stuff. But I remember one just got under my skin, right? And, it, and he basically said, hey, this is really good. You know, why don't you try to go ahead and, and uh, offer what, you know, I'll not just go look up what the other people are saying and the scholars are saying, but why don't, why don't you try critiquing the scholars? And I thought, Dr. Bauer, that's not the assignment. That's not what you asked me to do. Why are you writing this on my perfectly A-plus paper? Like, that is not fair. Like, tell me that in person, but don't write it on my A-plus paper. Like, bad teacher, bad, bad, bad. So anyways, I, I got it a little under my skin. I got a little chirpy, and I was like, you know, I was like, oh, how dare he write that? Like, that wasn't part of the assignment. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to show him. I'm going to do it next time. And so the next time I, I did it, and, uh, you know, I wrote this paper, did, did it all, and I didn't get an A-plus in that paper, nonetheless. But uh, I did actually go on and not only do what I was, the assignment was, but then went further on and said, okay, here are, are the scholars writing these different things and these different, you know, commentaries or books that they wrote and all these different things and our papers that they had. And, and I wrote, you know, then I wrote like a critique of all the people that I used as far as like their take on it and, and what I saw that was good and bad. And, and I, so I turned it in and I was all curious. Of course, got the paper back and I was just, <laughs> I didn't care what the grade was, didn't care about any of the comments. I wanted to see if he even remembered that he gave me this critique and even bothered reading my comments there and what he would say. And lo and behold, Dr. Bauer, of course, did, and actually, uh, he was one of my favorite professors in the sense that he always truly read the paper. Like, I mean, you knew from his comments, he actually was tracking with everybody. I had no clue how he had time to not just skim through sometimes, but he actually took every single word and really digested it and gave feedback. And I remember that he, he wrote on the comments of one of them, he was like, this is great insight, and this is really well done, and something, like, something along those lines, right? And I remember I was like, Huh. I was like, little, little seminary student just took on the scholars, and that was right, right, you know? <laughs> and I remember feeling this great, like, sense of, like, wait a minute, I can actually do this. Like, and it was that turning point in my life where I realized I wasn't just little old seminary student, but at some ways you become, through seminary, the ability to at least dialogue with all the scholars. And it's not just, okay, certain scholars said this, but you can actually digest it and realize whether you agree with that scholar or not, how in the ways you do and why in the ways you don't, and to critique why that is and really think through those kind of issues. And what I remember most about it was he mentioned one little thing in there. He said, uh, why don't you go check out my book, this, 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 you know, and I can't remember the name of it, but go check it out of the library and read, it, read, read what you wrote. So, and think about what you wrote when you read through it on this certain section of, of the Bible. So I did, so I went over and he had written a book and it was basically, here's a critique of all the books that are out there currently at the time that are really worth reading. And so literally he wrote a book and the whole idea behind it was, was you'd open up and it would be different you know, commentaries of different books, different parts of the Bible. And literally he, would just, he was going through and saying, okay, here are the top tier ones and here's why. And here are other ones and here are great ones and here are 
here are ones that are all worth reading, but here are some comments on the different scholars. And specifically, of course, where he kind of led me to was reading uh, about one specific scholar who I won't mention the name here today, but one of the things I wrote about in my paper was the scholar is you know, fairly accurate, but just is totally obsessed with seeing everything through the goggles of, of power structure. So like when you read this scholar, they were always just talking about power structure this, power structure that, and abuse of power. And they boiled like the whole Bible down to like abuse of power issues, if you will, which of course, is all, you know, there's always an element of that, but that doesn't always take center stage of every story and every single point and every time of the Bible, as this scholar did. And lo and behold, I read Dr. Bauer's words, and I usually would have sworn I had taken what he wrote, paraphrased it, and gave it back to him, right? And I remember thinking that day, I was like, Dr. Bauer, you were right, and you made me a better pastor just because you made me do that, right? That little work, but that little tiny comment and how a little bit of faithfulness and trying to take that next step led to really that moment of that seminary career where I said, you know what? I don't have to just take word for word what people do, or even if they disagree, like choose my favorite one. I can actually think through the issues, think through where they're coming from, and really make a good, almost academic, scholarly decision of, and defend it. And in some ways, it kind of felt like I can now rub air, elbows with some of these scholars, right? And not that that was truly true, because I don't have a doctor next to my name or anything like that, but in the sense that at least I could be in the room and have the dialogue, which had never been a feeling of mine before. And that was all thanks to the Lord working through Dr. Bauer and giving me that critique on something that I wasn't asked to do, right? <laughs> but yet he called out and said, hey, why don't you just take another step forward? Try it out. And of course, as I did, I found all sorts of affirmation and of course found a deeper love again for the Bible and thinking that, hey, there's actually something that I'm good at <laughs> in life that I could actually be proud of and maybe actually help people with and through my career. These are stories, of course, of the Lord taking small things. We have small things that are faithfully given, faithfully done with the right attitude, with the right motivation, with the right heart. And the Lord brings sustenance every day to the soul. In our world, it seems like we always look at big achievements and we reward big things, right? We think about Super Bowl rings and we think about accolades and we think about all sorts of, you know, literary uh, awards and we think about the Nobel Peace Prize and we think about big, huge things of life accomplishments that people give. And yet so many times in Scripture, it's not that big moment that really makes the difference. It's normally the little tiny thing that was done faithfully diligently, time and time again, that makes the world of difference. We see the Lord wants to work in our life. Not only can he take what is small and make something big out of it, but he loves to take what is small. Because it's normally done with the right heart, it's normally done with the right motive, and the Lord loves that diligent faithfulness in our life. So however you live this week, as we've been talking weeks before, to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'd add one more thing to that. That's not only to do it for Jesus Christ, but do it small for Jesus Christ. Do it faithfully for Jesus Christ. For that small and faithful thing may do something amazing, like keeping an orphanage open for deaf children in Jamaica. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for scripture. 
God, it's amazing to think how you called Elijah away from his home in Gilead to confront a king and then basically have to run for his life in this situation and to go into a foreign land among a people who did not worship you, among a people who did not want to worship you, and to stay with a widow who had nothing to her name and a boy who had no future. And yet, in that story, you provided not only with what she gave for Elijah, you provided for her and her son as well. God, help us to take that faith of that woman who didn't even worship you, to hear the word of the Lord say, do this, and that small thing, Lord, is just feed Elijah, give him somewhere to stay. Help us to do those small things, Lord, that you could do great things through us. God, we remember that the story doesn't end here, but that you bring Elijah back and he keeps going. Yet it was these small things that happened first that paved the way for the big things that happened later. So Lord, may you do the same work in our life. That each of us could be faithful to you in all that we do. But especially, Lord, to look for those small things. Those things that the world would pass by and say it doesn't really matter. But for us, Lord, it's the very fundamental element that proves not only the faithfulness to you, but the goodness that you take small and make it mighty. We pray this in your name. Amen.